Brilliant. So some of us are really excited that we've gone digital. Others, maybe you just look at the pretty lights that flash seemingly randomly. Uh, that's your way of experiencing the joy that the rest of us are, are now entering into. Well, okay, beginning of the new year, and we set aside this talk to do just a kind of one-off talk, and next week we'll, beginning, uh, we'll begin a, a three-part series looking at the life of the Old Testament figure, Samson. He was, uh, he was a judge of Israel, he was a bodybuilder, uh, he had an eye for the ladies, and he wrote poetry, often about killing people. He was a very, very interesting guy. So we're going to be learning all about Samson starting next week for three weeks. Uh, and when I was thinking about this uh, Sunday, the first Sunday back, the beginning of the new year, uh, um, before Christmas, and I was pondering what would fit well, I wanted to do something that would kind of uh, help us to reflect and restart into our uh, new year. And there's something about Christmas and the New Year celebrations that, as wondrous as they are, they, they can often dial down our kind of spiritual fervour. I think in proportion to the amount of TV and chocolate and turkey and whatever delights you have enjoyed, there is often a, a kind of a, a fading off of spiritual passion and fervour. Maybe not for you, but I often reflect that that's what happens in my life. And so maybe you need to lose a stone worth of sin as you enter into the new year. Maybe you need to tone up your prayer life. Maybe you need to rebuild your spiritual uh, worship muscle. Uh, and as we enter into a new year, it's an opportunity to revisit and re-study why we are following and serving um, Jesus. And I wanted to look at the life of a saint, and the one that captured me was uh, Jonathan Edwards. Uh, now this is Jonathan Edwards, not this one, this is the British triple jumper, I think for a while was the host of Songs of uh, Praise, uh, and I'm sure he's many great things to speak to us, but actually this one, Jonathan Edwards, what a handsome man he is. Look at him there, with all his own hair, now that's a wig and uh, obviously he likes wearing these stuffy preaching uh, bands. He looks a bit austere. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, uh, not British but American. He was uh, born in 1703. He was the only boy in a, in a family of 11. So he, so he was a boy with 10 sisters. Maybe that shaped his spiritual development. He was a pastor. He never led... A big church. He wasn't a mega church or a big church person. He's not known for that. But he is known as a, uh, for being a missionary and for being something of a, a theologian and something of a writer. One of his grandchildren went on to be a vice president of the United States of America. And somebody wrote this about him in a biography about him. They said, Jonathan Edwards is one of America's most important and, and original philosophical theologians. He lived during the Great Awakening and he was um, kind of history, he was a contemporary of 
people like George Whitfield and John Wesley, and he was in America. The, the Great Awakening was something of a spiritual and a pastoral and an evangelistic uh, revival, and uh, a lot of it happened in New England, where Jonathan Edwards uh, was the ministers of different churches. And he was a prolific writer. He's known for his theology and his writings, but he actually wrote about all sorts of things. He wrote a thesis on flying spiders. Do you know what? I, I get like a shiver down my spine just thinking about it. A man who loves spiders so much that he wrote a thesis about them. He wrote a dissertation on optical refraction. Now the geek in me loves that. I think um, I've already made a note. I want to read his, his thesis on optical refraction. I'm sure many of you are going to make a mental note to miss it by. Um, he, he wrote papers on his thoughts about Newtonian physics. What a guy. I love this guy so much. Uh, and he also wrote prolific journals, writing almost every day, writing letters, writing uh, books and short essays and stories. And in fact, you can buy pretty much the compilation of those things that he um, Wrote and I, I was in a bookshop once. I saw the complete works of Jonathan Edwards, and it, it literally looks like an encyclopedia. The man was an absolutely prolific writer and an incredible brain. He was not only someone that had a passion and a heart for Jesus, but he had an, an intellect and a mind to allow him to decipher it and to, to write it and to explain it. He's most known for a book you may, may have read, Religious Affections. It's still um, set reading on some theological uh, courses. And it's a book that talks about evangelism and conversion. But it comes at it from the, from the perspective of emotion and the heart. And about how God stirs and moves a person's heart in order to change them and develop them. Uh, he was a missionary. Uh, he uh, often freed slaves by buying them and then setting them free. And he ended his life as a missionary to the Mohican Indians in America. And he, he went to live amongst them in order to, uh, to evangelize them, but also just to, to, to improve their life. And one of the problems that they had was um, as they, as separate a separate people group were mixing with uh, the European settlers. Diseases were coming from the European settlers to which they had some immunity were uh, having very bad effects on, on uh, the Mohican Indians who were, had no natural immunity to these things. And so he was also trying to uh, improve their public health by um, getting them to have inoculations and vaccinations. And in fact, he, one of the things he wanted to do was to, to encourage them to have a smallpox Vaccine, so he, he volunteered to have the smallpox vaccine, uh, and unfortunately, it wasn't the right one or whatever it was because that killed him and he died from it. It sounds a bit amusing to say it that way, I'm sure it wasn't amusing, but such was his devotion to them that he wanted to um, uh, improve their health and, and lead them to know more about God. And I was thinking before um, Christmas about what I would look at. I, was, I, I thought, first of all, about a book I have, and I have a book of resolutions that he wrote. And throughout his adult life, he kept a, a, a perpetual journey of... These were like reflections on his spiritual life in the form of decisions he made in order to how, in how he wanted to live his life differently. Um, for example, he wrote, I have resolved never to lose 
a moment, but to take every effort to improve it in any way I can. And one of the side notes, he, um, he, he wrote that he has instructed his children never to be a, without a good book. He never wanted to waste a moment of his life by not being prepared about how he might use that moment. If I've got a spare ten minutes, I'd better have a good book with me so that I can profitably use that moment. Uh, here's another one. Have resolved never to think of sport on the Lord's Day. What a guy. He banished all thought of football and golf and cricket because these things might might distract him from being fully focused on, uh, on God on Sunday. Um, another one he said, uh, I have resolved never to do something that I would not do in the last hour of my life. He wanted to be purposeful and do only things that he thought were vital and important and significant, not to waste or to fritter away his life. Anyway, we're not going to look at those things. But I mention it because tucked at the back of my book on the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards was a little-known letter that he wrote when he was aged 13. The letter is titled, Advice to a New Young Convert. And I'd never read it before, and I read through it, and it's a fascinating read. And I'll post it on the G2 website as a blog so you can uh, read read through it. And it was a response to a letter that a lady wrote to him. A lady he'd never met, not a lady in his church. She wrote him asking him as a pastor and a minister for some advice in developing and nurturing her faith. And he wrote back this epic uh, letter with 19 different points of things that she could do to improve her faith. Just pause for a minute. That, that was the deal in the 18th century. If you got in touch with a minister of the church you would get a 19-point letter back in advice. Do you know what? You're lucky to get a text message, probably, from me. This is what Jonathan Edwards did. He was a prolific writer. And actually, this letter remained private between him and this lady for all of his life, and it was, it was only published after his death when some of his other works were being published and uh, probably is, a, is, not, is not still widely read, but is a stirring um, letter. And so I'll post it all on the, on, the, on the website so you can read all 19 of them. But I've picked out just three that I want us uh, to look at today. And I want us to look at them so that at the end of this uh, session we can have some time just to chat. So I don't want you to be a spectator to, the, to these things. I want you to think about how these things apply and affect uh, to your life. So let's look at the first one. And this was point number 12 in his letter to this woman. And this is what he said. You should be often exhorting and counselling and warning others. And then he, they used to write very long sentences in those days. So cut a bit out. And I would advise you, this is, it just says the same thing, and I would advise you especially to be much in exhorting children and young people. Wow. I wonder if there's anyone here who's completely full of encouragement. I wonder if there's anyone here who can say, do you know what? I have no further need of encouragement. I have received so much encouragement that I'm, I'm actually full. If you gave me any more, it would be completely wasted because I'm full to the brim of encouragement. Now, if there's anyone here in, this, in that category, you could probably leave now because you're done. You're full up. Although you probably need to stay because you probably need to pass that on to others. 
And if you're not full of encouragement, then actually this is very good advice for us. Uh, and if, if you or the person next to you is not fully encouraged and empowered and inspired to be following Jesus and to, to be doing more in life for God, then actually we need to take heed of this advice. Now maybe you think, actually, I would love to be encouraging others, but actually I think maybe I'm the candidate to receive first. Maybe you can put your hand up to that. Actually, I, I, I'm feeling lacking encouragement. So maybe if someone encouraged me a few times, then I might pass it out to others. But actually, in, in, in life, we, we often reap what we sow. And often, if, we, if, we, if we're stingy and we hold back, then that's kind of what can happen to us. And if we give and pour out to others, then it, it can often kind of come back to us. And encouragement is kind of free. It's not like you've got a limited supply, like you open your purse and you think, well, I've only got five pounds, so I'm going to have to ration this money. I can either spend it on this thing or this thing. Encouragement, you can give as much as you want. It's like printing money. You can have as much encouragement to give away as you would like. Uh, And actually, the more encouragement you give, probably the more encouragement you will find that you have to give to others. And I never cease to be amazed at the power that encouragement has. Now, I say that because I'm someone who is not naturally good at giving encouragement. I'm so introverted, hardly, hardly anything that I think leaves my mouth to go to the other person to tell them that I think that's good. Because I just assume they'll know it's good. Or I assume that they know that I think that they did a good job. And so I even have notes in my notebook to remind me, I even have things in my diary to schedule into my life reminders so that I tell other people that good thing, that I see good things happening or thank you for what you've done or be encouraged. Um, and so I've, I've had to almost train myself and learn how to be an encouragement to others. And I'm often amazed actually how people often don't see the value of what's good in their lives. People often don't see that. You might think of someone and you might think, well, I assume Paul knows he's really good at leading worship or Matt's brilliant at sorting out the PA and helping us to go digital or the person that's welcoming me as I came in the door is just just an enthusiastic person that just makes me feel good when I see them or whatever it may be. We can assume they know that, but I've learned in life most people don't know that's good. They don't know that's true, and they need somebody else to be like a mirror to reflect that back to them and to give them encouragement. It's a bit like the X Factor, isn't it? Well, it's not like the X Factor at all, but go with me. You know, you know how on the X Factor, I mean, skip the rubbish bit at the beginning where you get all the people who are dreadful but funny to watch, okay? But then, when, as you get towards the final, and then you've got the finalists who, have be, who are brilliant like world class. And then they do that little bit where they show you what happened the first time they came and how they were really nervous and they came with their gran and their nan and the man that runs the chip shop and they do that little film of, you know, when you worked in Asda or you worked at Carphone Warehouse or whatever it might be. Uh, and then they, they kind of show you, this is, this is where you were and then this is where you came, this is where you've got to. And it, it's brilliant. And it's, it's like... 
they had this past experience and they didn't see the amazing treasure that they had in them. And they needed something as tacky as maybe the X Factor to bring it to bring it out. And actually, I think everybody's brilliant. Everybody's got amazing stuff within their life that they're waiting to see released. And often encouragement and the lack of it is like the absence of the rain that waters the seed that allows it to grow. And God's put that thing in them and the encouragement is almost free. It's, it's as abundant as the rain that we can pour into other people's lives to help see what God has put within them to grow and to nurture. And I love that Jonathan Edwards adds in this, especially children and young people. We can often just have this focus, you know, it's adult to adult, and uh, we can miss the children out. And if you're a parent, you will know how powerful it is when somebody other than you says something good to your children. Because basically, your children don't think that you know anything about life. They think, well, if, if, you've, if you say something, then it's probably wrong, because you're my dad. So, you're wrong, dad. Okay. But if Miriam says it, oh, then it's definitely true. Or if, it's, if Luke says it, or if somebody else says it, wow, Luke said this amazing thing to me. And I think, I think I've said that to you a lot of times. How come you don't have no recollection of hearing it? But now Luke said it, it's gospel true. Uh, okay, well, encouraging children, that's a powerful thing. Encouraging young people. And if, if, if adults struggle with that not knowing the good stuff that God's put within them, how much more children and young people who are also learning about everything else about their lives, do they need other people to help them to see how good they are and what God has put within them. And also he says we need to be warning others. Warning goes as a pair with encouragement. Encouragement is not just flattery or saying nicey nice things. It's not buttering people up. It's not saying stuff that kind of is an exaggeration of truth. It's not just doing half the deal and saying uh, here are all the good things and I'll, I won't mention the rest uh, the other side of encouragement is warning, is, is when we love somebody enough to actually speak into their lives and point something out that maybe needs to be noticed. I've learned that you need to earn the right to do that. You need to earn the right as a friend. You need to do nine bits of encouraging before you can do the warning. Otherwise, it's just a bit rude and it's not received. But if you have a trusted friend who you know is actually faithful and true, then when they do warn you, you take heed of it. And actually you benefit from it enormously. I don't know if as a child you studied the Bayer Chapistry. Um, I think I saw it once as a child on a little school trip. And we went, you know, it's 30 children with a clipboard and you have to tick things off and colour things in. And uh, there's a bit in the Bayer Tapestry um, where um, there's a soldier and then there's, I assume it must be Harold... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, any historians. I assume it's Harold, and he's got a pike. Now, a pike is uh, a long stick with a sharp metal spike on the end. And Harold's got this spike, and he's jabbing it into some bloke's backside. And the caption underneath says, Harold encourages the troops. So, that's lovely, isn't it? It's a nice little, you know, picture of, of life. Uh, 
Harold encourages the troop, uh, the troops. And the word encourage literally means to give strength. So here's Harold. He loves his troops so much that he says, guys, you know what you most need? It's not a hug. You need a big poke in the bum. And that's what will help you fulfill your destiny, which at the, uh, right now is to go and fight the nasty French or whoever they're fighting. I assume it was the French. Or was Harold French? Oh dear. Well, you get the picture, don't you? Harold encourages his troops. Number one. Let's look at another one. This was number 15 in Jonathan Edwards' list. He said this, Under special difficulties, or when in great need of or greater longings, after particular mercies for yourself or others, set apart a day of a day of secret whoops, fasting and prayer alone. This feels like such obvious, obvious advice, but it's something we often omit to do. When was the last time something big was happening in your life and you said to yourself, this, there's a big thing happening in my life, I need to find some time to seek God over this. I need to find a way of bringing this to God. And then, and I've edited this, this is just the first sentence, but in the rest of the paragraph that he writes about this, he lists things like, in, he said, I advise you to, to confess all the sins that come to mind, and I advise you to do this, and I suggest you do this, and I suggest that you pray in such and such a way. There's something incredibly obvious that we so often miss, in that when we need to make an important decision, or we have a big thing happening, or something's going on, and we don't understand what God, what why is this happening in my life? What are you saying? What are you doing in my life because of this? We need to take it to God in prayer. And it may not be that you can carve out you know, a, a month to go on a silent retreat at a monastery and fast and hang out with the monks and do spiritual devotions. But it might be you can, you can take a lunch break uh, or an evening. Um, or you can get up early and take some opportunity. Or you can, you can do something during during the weekend or you can utilise some of your holiday but that you can you can take that step of thinking do you know what this is so important I need to take this to God in prayer and we are of that generation that so much wants quick resolutions to things and there is some wisdom that you just cannot get from Google you, you've got to pray and fast your way to God to get it there's some stuff that God is not going to speak into our lives through the 10 second prayer. Not that he despises that, but that, that's just the beginning. Maybe there, there is a need for some denial and some seriousness and some earnest seeking of God in prayer to yield the wisdom that God has for my life in a certain area. We're going to chat in a minute and I've just got one more um, point from Edwards to look at and this is number three in his list which was this when you hear sermons hear them for yourself let the chief intent of your mind be to consider what ways you can apply the things that you are hearing in the sermon and he goes on do you know what we in the west in britain as part of in europe uh, as, as people who might be vaguely characterised as, as middle class or, or whatever, whatever that means, but you, you, you get an idea of what I'm saying. Uh, we often don't hear sermons. 
Um, often our, our language, when we talk about talks, betrays the way that we engage. We often use the language of entertainment when we describe talks and sermons and preaching and those kind of things. Um, we, may be, we may refer to the preacher, we might say, um, Christian wasn't so good today, or Christian was on form today. And so we, we, we elevate or, or denigrate the preacher. Um, we often are so easily thrown by small things like the joke wasn't that funny, you know, or uh, you know uh, there wasn't a cool video clip, you know, the one with the uh, dog that does that funny thing on the wall and he falls off and it doesn't really relate to the sermon except the dog sounds like God. And that was my point of showing that clip to you, which I didn't show you, but you get the point. Oh, it wasn't a good sermon because we didn't have the funny clip. We love the funny clip. Where's the funny clip? No, there was no, there's no funny clip today because the sermon is not the funny clip. Okay? And, um, sorry, I just need to read my notes. Uh, and there's something about the West, Western people. We come from uh, an, an educational and an intellectual um, background. So we often rate things in terms of academia or complexity, when often a talk is merely reminding us of simple things that we need to remember to do, or things that we already know, but we're not yet doing. So we need to hear it again, because we know it, but we're not yet doing it. But we can distance ourselves from it, because we weren't entertained, or uh, it wasn't uh, learned enough, or we didn't have enough Greek or Latin or whatever it might be to tickle our intellectual fancy in order that we might then engage with the talk. Now, something interesting I learned last year through some visits that I did. If you want to learn a different perspective on preaching, you need to go to a black Pentecostal church. Okay, A black Pentecostal church, my word, they have a different perspective on what is happening when a sermon's happening. Now, on the outside, you might think, oh, it's all hype, isn't it? It's all hallelujahs and praise God, and it's, you know, it's a bit extrovert. It's not very British at all. That's what's different. But a- actually, what's happening is there is a whole different belief system of the dynamic that's taking place during a, a sermon or a talk uh, for that church. And, and the Pentecostal churches particularly have, have almost a different approach to what preaching is about and what it's, what, what's happening. For a start, preaching is seen as far bigger than the preacher. It's not about the preacher, it's about God. I'm going to church today because God has got a word for me. And it doesn't matter who's speaking because God's big enough and powerful enough to speak through whoever it might be in order to bless my life and to bring uh, a word. And the theology of preaching in a Pentecostal church is that it's the job of us all to, to draw the word that God has given and the word that God is giving out of the person who is speaking. It's not the job of the preacher to do how good did they do. It's, it's how well did we do in getting the word that God had for us because we've come to church to meet with God. And so the kind of the hallelujahs and the amens, that they're all part of that sense that as, as there are talk is happening, the Spirit of God is live in the room 
doing something powerful. Uh, and they had this phrase, I went to a Pentecostal church, and they said, we, we, they call it the dancing hand of God. And it's that sense that, although you've prepared something to say, you still don't know what's going to happen during the talk, because the talk is a living experience when the dancing hand of God comes and moves and touches and blesses people. And if you ever get an opportunity to go to a black Pentecostal church, I recommend it, um, then um, when the dancing hand of God is on your life, like when the, when the person speaking um, is, is drawing on something that you feel God is speaking to you, you engage. That's your job. And so you, what you might engage, you might, you might stand up. Um, and, uh, and if you're a bit more serious, you might fold your hands. They do it like this. Okay, imagine me blacker and bigger. Uh, maybe a woman, a big black woman. And they go like this. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and that, that means God is speaking to me right now. So preacher, keep going. Okay, I want everything that you've got. And then if God's really speaking to you, you know, you'll wave your hand like that. So you'll be in the middle of this black Pentecostal church and you'll see people doing this. And they're not trying to get a taxi. They're, they're saying... God is on my case right now. So keep going, preacher. Keep going, church. Spirit of God is busy and doing stuff in the room. Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> and, and so this happened um, today. Paul rang me up and he said to me, where will your sermon end? Because we need to talk about the response. And the reason he and I could have a conversation about that is because we're not black, I'm brown, but we're not, I'm not black. We're not Pentecostal, I'd like to be Pentecostal, and we're middle class, Paul, you're middle class. And so we, we've segregated the meeting. We have some worship, we have a talk, we'll have a coffee, and then we'll have a response. Now if we were Pentecostals, and black, then our conversation would have been, at what point in the middle of your talk, Christian, do you think God is going to break out? Uh, how far into your talk should the musicians be ready to just leap onto stage because the dancing hand of God has got a hold of us and the preacher's said enough, he can save the rest for next week because he's said enough, we're hearing from God and we're going to go for it. We're going to receive everything that he's got. And we don't wait until the end of the talk to respond because we respond during the talk. That's what we're doing because we're extracting the word that God has for us, out of the person that's speaking. And uh, I went to a leader session once at, um, at Pentecostal Church where they were training their emerging leaders. And the way they phrased it to them, they were trying to teach them um, how this worked. And they said, what you need to do, guys, is when it comes to the talk, you need to lean in. And, and they, they said, literally, what, it will help you if you physically do it, if you physically Lean in. And uh, so, I mean, body posture is a very individual thing. But there's something about maybe if we lean back, we're actually switching into entertainment mode. We're switching into, okay, let's see how funny the joke is. If it's a cool clip, I'll listen a bit more. Uh, You know, if it makes sense, if if you've got some posh words, yeah, okay, I'll give you my time. Entertain me, entertain me, and I'll maybe, I'll take that on board. But what they're saying is, you need to lean in. As soon as it starts, 
Lean in. There's something about our culture at G2 that we're very laid back, isn't it? And the danger is that we're so laid back, we actually miss what God is doing in the room. And it's not necessarily anybody else's fault. It might be completely up to you to have lent in, to engage, to lay a hold of what God has got for you. We're going to pause there. We've got a few minutes just to chat. And I'm going to, we're going to put the, those three things, those three points that we looked at uh, on a slide. They'll just loop around so you can be reminded of uh, what they were. And uh, I'd like you to chat at your table about what is God saying to you? What's God been saying to you through this talk, through this worship, maybe through the things that we shared at the beginning? Maybe just pick one thing and you want to chat to uh, the person next to you about that. So off you go.